Hi there, and welcome to the Crypto Frontier. I'm Jonathan Miller, Managing Director of Kraken Australia, and I'm glad you could join me out here on the Crypto Frontier. On this show, you'll hear from the industry's best and brightest about the latest news in crypto markets and industry from Australia and around the world. Tune in fortnightly to gather the latest insights and data to power your trading. Whether you haven't yet bought your first Bitcoin or want to better understand the latest DeFi token, this show will explore the latest in market data trends and go behind the scenes to explore the technology that powers the future of finance. Okay, first up, let's take a look at some recent news in crypto. Firstly, JP Morgan Chase has admitted wrongdoing and agreed to pay more than 920 million US dollars to resolve the US authorities' claims of market manipulation in the bank's tradings of metals, futures, and treasury securities over an eight-year period. Investment continues to flow into the crypto space. Vienna-based crypto brokerage Bitpanda raised 52 million US dollars in a Series A fundraising led by PayPal legend Peter Thiel's Valar Ventures. And US lawmakers have just passed a crypto bill, the Digital Taxonomy Act, which directs the US Consumer Protection Agency, the FTC, to train staff and allocate resources to identify and guard against, and I quote, deceptive acts or practices involving digital tokens. Now, this follows a series of more specific regulations globally, including the EU official regulatory draft proposal for crypto assets and stable coins. We'll just have to watch this space. Okay, that's the news for this week. I'd now like to introduce our guest for fortnight, Alex Saunders. Welcome, Alex. Thanks for having me on, mate. Not at all. So Alex is the brains trust behind Nuggets News and by all accounts has spent the last several years reading and talking all things crypto and nothing else. So today we're going to look at decentralized finance. Well, I I, I call it DeFi, decentralized finance, and I guess um, it is, I prefer to think of it as open finance, but this uh, catchy term has really sort of taken over. But um, it's basically just opening up the world of finance and breaking down the barriers to entry so anyone can open a bank account or start a business and yeah getting people into the world of e-commerce in a frictionless fashion i guess is it specific to crypto uh eventually i would say no we want people using these different apps and, and getting involved without knowing that there's a blockchain or a token underpinning this technology but at the moment uh, yeah, D- D- DeFi is a crypto thing, but there's also, I guess, centralized exchanges trying to dip their toe in the water. And some people call that CeFi. And then we're referring to the, I guess, legacy markets as traditional finance. So you might have seen TradFi on, on Twitter. So I guess different iterations, a bit of a spectrum. Yeah, I mean, in some ways, isn't this just a rebrand of the original promise of blockchain? You know, some of these projects that are being hyped right now, aren't these ones that we've seen, you know, come and go in 2017? Uh, I think some of the best ones are the, those that have been busy building for three years and they've come out of crypto winter and everyone thought that, oh, t- the token model was dead, that ICOs were all a bubble. And then a lot of these projects, I guess, updated their tokenomics a little bit or they came out with these working products and then more utility for their token uh, the community was strong and there were different incentives in place. 
so I, I think that in a lot of ways, yes, that was what crypto set out to be. And you could argue that Bitcoin is decentralized finance. It's trying to decentralize uh, money. But then there's these other things like lending, decentralized trading, uh, derivatives. There's a whole lot more that we can do on Ethereum and all the protocols that are building on that. And I guess a lot of them clip together. You might have heard this term DeFi Legos. And that's creating this Cambrian explosion because all of a sudden you've got the you know the network effects of all these different things where people can get very creative. So let's let's just jump into one of the I guess more specific ideas then. So tell me, you know, if you're saying that um, you know you can do lending now, we've got Bitcoin. Okay, we understand that's a money type thing. You know, it's a store of value as well, but it's something that you can P to P, you know, manage. Uh, your finances when it comes to a store of wealth or, or a medium of exchange. So we, we understand Bitcoin and it's decentralized, obviously, because it's sitting on top of a blockchain. Um, and, you know, we, we're not going get, to get into what blockchains and how they work are. But assuming then you've got a lending model, can you just maybe give us an example of how a lending model might work um, in a decentralized uh, way? Yeah, sure. So there might it might be even easier to understand uh, the spectrum. So at the moment, with lending, you kind of have to go into a bank and apply. And that's the very centralized model where it's almost like one person or one company gets to decide whether or not you get some funds. Uh, in the crypto world, the fully decentralized idea here is that anyone can borrow from anyone in a peer-to-peer -peer model. And to do that, they go to a protocol or an app. And that is the middleman like that rather than cutting out all the other stuff, it's just software that's sitting there in the middle. So people can deposit assets and the free market decides the interest rate. Um, they decide what collateral you have to get, have to put up, I guess, and how risky that is, the over-collateralization ratio. And then we're moving along that spectrum where exchanges, the crypto exchanges are saying, hey, well, we want to do that as well. So that becomes a little bit more uh, centralized, I guess. But that's, I guess, the basic premise of it, that anyone now, instead of the bank getting to earn, well, that's how banks make money, isn't it? They they lend uh, at one interest rate and, and borrow at another. But now we can do that in a peer-to-peer -peer fashion. So maybe this is, you know, the actual um, disruption of banking that we've been talking about when when you talk about Bitcoin for so long. You know, Bitcoin's disrupting money, but, but these protocols, these decentralized finance protocols, uh, are disrupting lending functions of banks, which is, yeah, their bottom line, right? Uh, absolutely. And I think Bitcoin, like I love Bitcoin and it's still the, the king in my eyes, but I think that progress has, has slowed, whether it's the scaling debate that's been going on for many years or the Lightning Network that saw a huge growth two years ago and it's kind of slowed since. And then Ethereum has just come out and now there's hundreds, if not thousands of projects and they're building momentum and they've now got thousands of users or millions billions of dollars locked up so there's a lot happening in that space at the moment but i think that it's always going to outcompete traditional finance because they're cutting out the middlemen they're cutting out staff they're cutting out the physical location so rent and all your overheads and not only that but this space at the moment is growing so quickly you, you probably heard about m2 money supply and how the, bank, the central banks are printing all this money in the QE, but people just aren't spending money. There's no velocity in the economy. So the real world and that economy is slowing down. In the crypto world, it's the opposite. It's speeding up and all these dollars are circulating very, very quickly. So there's so much growth and so much demand for funds, whether it's for speculating or, or lending, that the interest rates there, let's call it 10% as the round number, 
uh, versus your bank account where you can probably get zero or negative interest rates in some country. So it makes sense for someone to deposit and earn that rate, but it also makes sense for someone to uh, to lend at that rate and rather than deposit in that bank account. So, you know, I guess one of the reasons the banks have all this set up, though, is not just because it's a legacy thing. You know, I'm always a bit wary about saying, oh, well, everyone's stupid and and, and they, haven't got, they haven't got it right. Like, I think that COVID's definitely shifted the needle when it comes to decentralised workplaces and some of the costs you'd hope over time for some of the existing institutions will come down as a result. But, you know, one thing you could say that the existing financial industry does understand is risk like they they get it they've been doing it for so long you know how how are these projects handling risk so that is the big problem that we have to solve going from uh like lending and making people put up some collateral and over collateral over collateralizing the loan and you mean crypto collateral here right yeah and that world is quickly growing so you don't just put up some bitcoin anymore you can put up uh, digital tokens, or if you've put your um, tokenized your house and you've you've now got that as on the blockchain of some sort, there's all sorts of collateral we're going to see. There's anything that you can basically tokenize, you can use in the world of DeFi these days. Um, but we have to build things like digital ID and digital reputation, and that gets people comfortable to lend to others without making them put up so much collateral. The other day, one of the leading projects, Ave. Um, started, what you can basically do here is designate. So I can say, well, I know and trust this person and you can sort of almost put up collateral and reputation for them. And then the lender will say, well, okay, you don't have to put up or we're comfortable to lend you a little bit more. And once you repay that first loan, you start to build that reputation and trust. And it becomes more and more like the real world and a, a credit score, I guess. So I would argue that banks don't manage risk that well. You know, look at the financial crises and, and what we're in where they keep getting bailed out and keep getting more money printed to stack up their reserves. So I just think that this is a better system um, compared to what's happening. And do we have any idea of the size? You know, like where is it Where is it sitting right now? Is It's obviously growing. Oh, it's been unbelievable this year. So probably, you know, things like Tether and stablecoins have gone from a billion dollars to $20 billion dollars. And we're seeing things like the funds that are locked up in some of these DeFi protocols has gone from oh, maybe a few million dollars a, a year or 18 months ago. And we've now got a billion dollars in some of the leading protocols. So these are starting to get towards big numbers and the rate of growth isn't really slowing down either. So I think next year we could see stable coins, $100 billion. And most days, these are trading at a 24-hour, I guess, turnover higher than the whole market cap because of how quickly these things are being circulated and spent by different people. So you say, well, the traditional finance and forex markets is in the trillions and this is a you know tiny and it's not really competing. But I think what happens in 12 months time, you get to 100 billion and the daily transfers might be 200 billion worth of stable coins. And then the following year, maybe you're up to a trillion and you know two, three trillion in turnover daily. And at that point, you are seriously competing with forex volumes and it's just a better way for money to circulate around the world because anyone with a phone can send money to anyone else with a phone. You don't have to go into a bank account or try and find a Western Union in Africa that's you know an hour away from your village. Uh, it's really exciting what is happening in this space. Yeah, that's that's a really good point in terms of cross-border flows. I think I think you can't argue with with a need for more efficiency there. And if you pair that with 
with um, financial products that are accessible to people. It's a pretty interesting, interesting arena. I think just winding it back, and I don't want to sound like a negative, Nelly, but I think it's really important we talk about this, which is you know risk not just from the point of view of a of a lender uh, assessing the risk of of the person there of the borrower, um, but what about the risk of the of the system? You know, every time I read an article about um, DeFi, I I kind of there's a follow up article on you know how much money's been hacked from a contract from a DeFi contract. You know, is this infrastructure ready and are the people ready do we understand it can 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 the average person understand whether or not when they're putting collateral in or or if you're lending through a platform like this whether that all of a sudden that money is just going to get or that collateral that asset is going to get sucked out by someone who's you know nefarious again so on that scale there's different levels of who you're trusting if you put your coins to an exchange just this uh week at time of recording here uh KuCoin have been hacked and they were a fairly large exchange that had been running for a while. So in some instances, you are trusting the custodian to have good storage of their private keys and security measures. In other DeFi protocols that are fully decentralized, you're putting your trust in the protocol, the smart contract that doesn't have a bug. And time and time again, we have seen these be drained and be attacked. So at the start of the year, there was a project called Nexus Mutual, which is offering insurance on these different protocols. And I read about it and I thought, this you know, this is the most important project at the moment because of what is happening. And sure enough, these guys have been growing crazy 10% month over month uh, and offering cover. And they're now up to around or over $100 million of cover that they're offering on the, the funds that are in DeFi. So that is going to continue to grow. The smart contract audits will get better. We'll continue to learn. So yeah, I would not tell anyone to put their life savings in in these just because you can get ten percent versus your bank account. Um, we've got to solve these problems, uh, but that but it's it's going to happen. Okay, so in 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 terms of this whole space, there are a lot of you know there's a lot of jargon out there. We've just talked about lending. That's a that's a word we understand. Why don't we just quickly talk about some of the other areas, just so you know the, the people listening can get a, get a feel for what, what some of these other um, decentralized finance opportunities are. Okay, so you know what's staking? Can you tell me a little bit about staking? Well, the definition varies. So staking originally is this idea that rather than uh, with Bitcoin, we have the computers that are processing transactions, and that's called proof of work because they're doing a lot of work. Uh, in proof of stake, the concept is that well, all the users of the network, anyone can choose to lock up a, a large amount of coins in a wallet and they become the person that gets to process transactions. That's probably the easiest way to think about it. So they're putting something at stake or at risk and that sort of gives them the trust and they earn rewards just as the Bitcoin miners earn rewards. Now, other people have kind of changed this definition a little bit now and applied it to anything. So if you deposit your Bitcoin into a lending platform, some people are calling that, well, you're staking your Bitcoin to earn rewards and to earn a yield on that. So the definition varies a little bit. Um, just this week, there was another thing come out in that uh, insurance protocol that I just spoke about. So there was such a high demand for their product, they couldn't get people to pull their funds in quick enough. And so they, they're now offering incentives, offering their token. And this is what a lot of projects are doing to attract people to come in to use their system. They're offering them free tokens as an incentive. And so what they're saying is, you know, put your tokens into our system to help us with the liquidity or with the cover for insurance in this case. 
will give you a token as a thank you as well as the yield and rewards that you normally earn. And some people would call that staking because you're putting your tokens in their platform to help them. So it's kind of being used as an umbrella term for essentially revenue sharing and using using crypto tokens as a, as a means to transfer value based on some sort of return on investment, yeah? I would say it's a, the term for depositing and, and some people call this locking up and that's not really a good term because you, a lot of the time you're in control. You've still got, you've got the keys to your coins and you've chosen to deposit and you can choose to withdraw if you're using the decentralized products here that you're interacting with a like a smart contract. If I deposit it to an exchange or to a bank, I can't really um, choose to withdraw at the click of a button. I don't have the keys to my funds. I've given those over to someone else. So anytime you deposit or lock up your coins to earn a reward, people are referring to that as staking. Okay, cool. That's that's really helpful. I think it's important to point out that, yeah, that first version of the definition really does refer to the protocol level, um, the underlying blockchain level, and that was a really great distinction. The other word that you hear bandied about is this idea of yield farming. Is that just another umbrella term? Uh, yeah, yeah. So this one's, oh, wow, where do you even start? So this started off with that concept that I just described where a protocol launched and they said, how do we reward our users and attract people to come and, and use our ecosystem and build community? Well, let's give them a token, like our native token, and that will give them maybe it's some some rights to discounts on fees or future cash flows, uh, governance to make decisions, You know, a range of utilities that people are offering through their token. But the idea was that, well, hey, if you go to this protocol and you're getting their token, maybe they'll give you um, someone else will actually want that token for their system. And so then you go over to there with the tokens you just got and you deposit. And then that system itself is probably running a promotion and they'll give you a third token. And then there's another exchange that actually wants that because there's not a lot of liquidity. So they'll say, hey, can you be a market maker for us and we'll give you a reward? So what you're getting is layers upon layers and you'll see things like, hey, you can this yield farming, this product here, if you do all these steps, you actually get 100% APY. So I guess annualized yield, you can think of that as. Uh, and people are going, wow, 100%, you know, that's huge. But that's because there's you know, layers upon layers of smart contract risk. The price of the token could go down and that's going to affect that number. Uh, and then you've got the actual um, yeah, layer upon layer. There could be a bug or anything can really happen there. So yeah, there's high numbers being thrown around and this term of people that are trying to farm yield. Now, one person might do the very basic first step and I guess you can still call that yield farming. You're just trying to get a yield and a reward on your tokens. But the really advanced yield farming stuff refers to that complex you know, layer upon layer. It's sounding as complex as a credit default swap. Look, we, I think what, what's very clear is that there's a huge amount of experimentation going on and the, the, the space is evolving and, it, and it's, it's very interesting because you know, th this in the end has, has very much been the promise for, for tokenization. And I think what, you know, the way that I kind of look at it is that we're seeing like a tokenization of financial business models not just products. And that's really interesting. Uh, one thing I love is that there's a spectrum here. So we've seen a lot of copycat or clone projects because most of these protocols are open source. And some of these have been funded by, by VCs and they're now making a lot of money. 
And the crypto community have come together and said, well, this is about decentralization here. Let's clone that code. And instead of the, the uh, VCs owning the tokens and getting all the rewards, let's disperse them and make this 100% community owned. And that's where we've seen a lot of experimentation. And we don't know who's going to win yet. Um, you have to provide a good user experience. But then if you're a copycat, then there's going to be another copycat. So you don't know where to draw the line. And you've heard this term pop up called liquidity locus because are people loyal or are people just going to keep changing to whoever's offering the best discount that week and then they're put out of business by the next guy? So lots of experimentation. But as you say, this space moves so fast that things like insurance, when it's needed on a, a project, they just offer that special that I spoke about. And 40 hours later, they've got more people to cover their project. You spoke about things like... Um, the interest rates that are fluctuating and people are saying, well, we need a money market, we need a yield curve. And sure enough, this week, there's a paper that's been put out and there's a project that's trying to solve that problem. So step by step, these things are just incredible in terms of the pace. Um, even like yield farming that I described about those layers upon layers that are complex, there's a project that's come out and said, hey, you know, that's all too complicated for most people. Put in the asset that you want to earn some yield on, whether it's your Ethereum or your Bitcoin, just put it into our protocol and our protocol's got this AI or this algorithm and it'll find the best interest rate for you. So again, solving these problems and it's just so exciting to watch. And, and I think taking it back a little bit just before we let you go to, um, to one of your previous comments, you've seen the centralized exchanges starting to play here. And I think it's fair to say that you know in traditional financial markets, um, liquidity is a big part of what makes a market work. And, and you mentioned it as well. And and if you've got lots of different protocols and lots of different places for these lending products or, or whatever they might be, these decentralized finance models, um, the last thing you want is a very, very thin pool or very, very um, shallow pool because then you can have big fluctuations and, and, and more risk. So I think there is a case for, for dealing with some of the centralized exchanges because of the fact that if they're going to play in the um, the yield space or whatever it might be, then there's, there's at this point in time at least a lot more liquidity there. Um, so I think it's a really interesting tension between between um, decentralized and, and sharing of rewards in the community and, and then those more centralized spaces where you might have more depth and uh, and, and more and less risks. But what, one thing I'd like to get from you before we go is is you know your view on, on what's next. I know we just talked about a whole lot of stuff. Um, it's a really big big and emergent space and and it's probably a bit of overload. So we're definitely going to have to come back and, and talk to you again, Alex. I, I really appreciate it. But what are you seeing? What's coming over the horizon? What's next in crypto? Um, yeah, so I think what you're going to see is that exchanges, now there's this competition knocking on the door. They're going to have to think, well, how can we offer a better customer experience or what can we do? And so this is hopefully going to all end up with a way better user experience and and better security because it's going to people are going to really be competing for the customer and for their dollars so i'm really looking forward to all that because in previous years exchanges just had this huge monopoly over projects over users so that's all going to i guess find its level i think that the gaming space and uh what we call nfts so non-fungible tokens that's going to be really exciting um, because the virtual world, whether it's living from home, like you mentioned before, or just people when kids that want to play these games and collect their items, it's just such a you know multi-billion dollar industry already. 
But some of the things that I've read and heard and seen firsthand about these virtual worlds where you're going to have virtual meetups and virtual conferences. You know, I, I attended the World Stablecoin Summit the other day and it was in Decentraland in virtual reality. And, you know, that was fantastic. So I, I'm, yeah, I just can't wait to see what happens in those other other sectors because DeFi has really caught on lately, but that is only one sector of hundreds that we're going to see in future. How, how exciting. Uh, look, we're going to have to get you back, Alex. Thank you so much for joining us on the show. That was Alex Saunders from Nuggets News. And thank you, listener, for tuning in. Make sure you subscribe and review us on your favorite podcast platform of choice. And we will make sure we take you right to the edge of the crypto frontier. And remember, you can learn more about all things crypto by visiting kraken.com slash learn. And until next time, I've been Jonathan Miller, and this has been The Crypto Frontier.